Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Collectively Coexisting podcast. This is your co-host, Taylor, and we are so excited to be featuring Fragile X Syndrome this month for our Care Connections program. Care Connections is sponsored by Horizon Therapeutics, Sanofi, and Ultragenics Pharmaceutical. Today, we have with us the wonderful Maddie. Maddie lives on the Gulf Coast with her husband and their son. She is a wife, a mom, and an HR professional. In her free time, she loves going on beach walks, researching everything early intervention, and planning the next family vacation. And she's here with us today to share her story with Fragile X Syndrome. Enjoy. Hi, Maddie. Welcome to the Collectively Coexisting Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today to talk about your journey with Fragile X Syndrome as part of our Carrier Connections program. Uh, if you could just start off with an introduction and tell us a little bit more about you, that would be great. Yeah. So my name is Maddie and I live on the Gulf Coast and I am married to my husband and we have a little boy who is 15 months old. Um, I kind of intro into my experience with Fragile X. I was adopted and so I have never met anyone genetically related to me. Um, so when I was planning to get pregnant. We went to my OB and let her know because, uh, you know, my mom had never been pregnant. So she was like, probably good to tell them, make them aware. So we went to our um, OB and let her know. And she said, uh, since I was adopted, we should do something called a carrier screening just to be sure to, you know, check all these things. Um, but then I got some poor advice, which was it takes at least six months to get pregnant. So we'll take your blood today for the carrier screening, but just go start trying. It'll take at least six months. Just, you know, there you go. So we, you know, they took my blood and um, sent it off for the carrier screening. And I got pregnant the first month that we tried. So the day after I found out that I was pregnant with my son, I got the results of my carrier screening back. Um, so positive pregnancy test next day, get get my email with my carrier screening results, letting me know that I was a carrier for um, a premutation carrier for fragile X syndrome and a carrier for cystic fibrosis. So I had heard of cystic fibrosis before, never heard of fragile X. So I immediately start being very concerned. I'm like, oh, cystic fibrosis, this is so concerning. So my husband goes and gets tested because from what I understand with cystic fibrosis, both parents have to carry the gene for it for the child to get it. So my husband goes and gets tested. He carries nothing. He's genetically perfect, of course. And so um, I just put it all, you know, outside of my mind. And then a week later, I was like, oh, there was one other thing on there. I should go look into that. And it said fragile X syndrome premutation carrier. So of course I Google fragile X syndrome. And the first thing you see is like the most extreme, you know, version of anything on Google. Right. So, um, I Google it and it's like, your child will, you know, struggle with mental and cognitive disability, extremely severe, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what, what? Like I've been pregnant for a week and you're telling me this about my child. So I call my OB and they connect me with the high risk, um, OBGYN and they have a genetic counselor there. And so I get in touch with her and she, uh, once again, got some poor advice, which is kind of a common theme. I think of anyone who carries a, an X-linked condition. Um, and she told me only boys are affected, which I'm going to set the record straight. Not true. There are girls greatly affected by fragile X. Um, and she said, so let's just do a gender test at 10 weeks and then we'll know where we are. Um, so we did a gender test, found out he was a boy. Well, then um, we did an amniocentesis at 16 weeks because I wanted 
to know how much research I could do to figure out um, how to be the best mom as possible. I am very much a control freak. So I feel like if I have more information, I can control the situation. Um, again, another common theme of my experience as a mom. So um, we had an amnio and we found out that my son was a mosaic pre-mutation full mutation, which I have yet to find another on the planet um, who is a pre-mutation full mutation mosaic, but the genetic counselor let us know that that means we have no idea what his future looks like. He could be completely fine. Um, you know, he could be displaying as completely neurotypical, um, be just fine for the rest of his life. He also could be severely cognitively disabled and have lots of, you know, neurological delays. Um, so yeah, that was sort of my, my intro into, into Fragile X and, and my experience with it. That was great. Thanks so much, Maddie. I have two questions. Um, one, just since we'll have, um, other carriers and females from other X-linked diseases, can you explain a little bit what pre-mutation versus full mutation means in Fragile X specifically? Yeah. So there are kind of, a, I'll say levels to Fragile X, if you kind of view it like a, like a game or something. Um, so the pre-mutation versus the full mutation, uh, it's the number of CGG repeats on the fMR1 gene. So a typical person has six to 54 CGG repeats. Um, so if you are not a pre-mutation or full mutation carrier, your fMR1 gene has between six and 54 typically. If you have between 55 and, and 200, you are in the pre-mutation range. So anyone with, with that number of repeats is considered a pre-mutation carrier of Fragile X syndrome. Anything over 200 is considered full mutation. And so with that, there are different kind of levels within each. So for example, as a pre-mutation carrier, I have 133 repeats. The symptoms that I'm going to experience from having 133 repeats are different than that of somebody, let's say with 80 or with 190. Um, so within that pre-mutation range, there are also a range of symptoms. Um, and it's interesting as the symptoms, for example, get lower, I mean, as the number of repeats get lower um, for a pre-mutation carrier, some of the risks actually get higher, um, which is kind of opposite of what you would normally think. You'd think the higher the repeats, the higher the risk. So um, it's kind of interesting to learn about, and it, it definitely gives you sort of a, a guidebook, if you will. If you know your number of repeats, it's a lot easier to sort of anticipate as much as you can um, what the norm is with that number. Um, and then, like I said, anything over 200 is considered full mutation. My son has mosaic pre-mutation and full mutation. And so his number, um, he has some that are below 200, some that are above 200, and the ones that are above 200 aren't even all acting like they're above 200. Um, the way that Fragile X over 200 affects a full mutation carrier is through um, something called methylation. And so it inhibits that protein from being released, which is what causes the, um, the cognitive impairment. And so um, generally, if you have over 200, then that protein's not being released. Some of his are still releasing that protein. So he has what they call partial methylation. Um, but that's just sort of a, a general overview. You have those number ranges and that's the difference between pre-mutation and full mutation. That was great. Thanks, Maddie. And so, it seems then that knowing your number of repeats is at least able to give you somewhat of a guide to understanding your risk of symptoms for sure. both as a male and as a female. Yes, for sure. So um, it's 
it definitely affects women and men in different ways. Obviously, like men don't have to worry about their ovarian reserve, for example. Um, and so it kind of does give you a little bit of a guidebook. And and now I, I've if I've learned anything about genetically related conditions, it's that, you know, it's sort of a guide, but also like everyone's different and you can sort of go by what's happened most in the past, but it's also left up to like, you might also be nothing to do with anything that was, that was considered normal before. Um, but yeah, it does give you a little bit of a, of a guidebook. For example, I went and had, I'm, I'll be 28 this year. Um, and I went to our fertility clinic and had my ovarian reserve tested and it's, um, technically I get, they put an age to it, which I guess they, that's how they, but it's, it's, I have the ovarian reserve of a 25 year old, whatever that means. So, um, I have not yet been affected by having a low ovarian reserve, but I might also, you know, be affected by other things. So, um, yeah, but it, it gives you a little bit of a, of a roadmap, if you will. Yeah. But still so much, so much. Better. <laughs> it's the same yeah. in the condition that I'm a carrier of, like, I know the risks, but it's impossible to yeah, predict anything to know what symptoms you might be affected by. Like it, it just, it feels sort of like a waiting game sort of to see right. like what's going to happen. Is anything going to happen? And while it seems like you are super educated about fragile X as I am with ALD, there's so much, I don't know. Yeah, I, I like, will be the first to tell you, I know what I've had time to learn, but, um, I also have a one-year-old, so yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to learn about what he needs. So, you know, sure. I just done as much as I can. Okay. So this, um, this, my, my second question. So when you were talking about, um, getting the results back from your carrier screening, did you just get that report like via email? Or I know that you said you reached out to like a genetic counselor, like, can you talk about that? And then talk about how you were explained, explained what it meant to be a carrier of Fragile X? Yeah, this is probably my biggest uh, qualm, my biggest passion now um, when it comes to, you know, I am, I am now that friend when my friend's like, I think we're going to, I'm like, go get a carrier screening and then I will help you navigate because no one helped me. Um, so I got an email. Well, you know how like your doctor will have like a my chart yeah. app thing. So I got like a message that's like you have new test results available, and I was like, oh great, wonderful. It's probably gonna say nothing, right? Because I'm perfect and everything is fine. So I opened up the document, and it had two kind of sections. I guess like they're two different cystic fibrosis and fragile X are two different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So um, it just said fragile X premutation, 136 repeats, and then cystic fibrosis recessive, something, something. Um, and so I read this again, I, I had heard of cystic fibrosis before. So I called, I called my OB. I reached out to their office. No one reached out to me. If I wouldn't have called, no one would have probably reached out to me. I called them and they were like, Oh, your husband just needs to come in and get tested for cystic fibrosis. So let's schedule that. And I was like, great, wonderful. So then my husband went in again, got the results that he was negative in a portal email. And I was like, great, we're good to go. And then when I remembered that there was something else on, like, again, no one had even talked to me about the Fragile X thing. Um, I had remembered that I reached out to my OB and they're like, yeah, we can probably get you like in touch with the high risk doctor to talk to a genetic person. So they just like referred me over and then the high risk OB made an appointment for me to come in. At this point, I had already Googled it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, 
I probably had three, four weeks from when I got the results to when I actually got to sit with a genetic counselor. So in between there, I did lots of like Googling and internet research. Um, but again, no one had ever reached out to me or anything. So then when I met with the genetic counselor, I mean, they basically did not explain anything about fragile X to me. They just explained how to figure out if the baby had it. Mm -hmm. So they were like, Oh, it only affects boys. We'll do a gender test. So then like I went in to get the gender, to do the blood test, to figure out the gender. Yeah. And then when we found out he was a boy, they're like, Oh, we'll do an amniocentesis. In all this time, no one ever like actually said what it was. Mm -hmm. They were again, just walking me through like their protocol on how to figure out if the baby has it. And then at that point, did you understand that like, if you had other kids that they would have like a risk? Not at all. Not at that point. I mean, um, I didn't even understand really that like I was the reason that he mm -hmm. had, I mean, I understood that like I carried the gene, but I just don't, I think that I thought it was a, a, a fluke of the universe, sort of like how, if I were to have a baby with down syndrome, like it's just something that right. could happen. I was yeah. like, oh, it's just something that could happen. You know, it's, it's the risk you take when you get pregnant is that your baby might have some genetic thing or chromosomal right. thing that, that is, is out of your, different. yeah, that you can't. But predict, I didn't like, realize that I like, as I do now, knowing that you can do IVF and do genetic, like, I didn't know it was a preventable thing. I just yeah. was like, oh, I carry this thing. And somehow this baby got this thing as well. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there'd be no reason why, unless you studied like, Right. medicine that, that you would know that I, like, I will no say this much I failed labor. biology 101 <laughs> in college so I was not like a, a science expert now I feel like if I went back I'd probably do a lot better in biology because I spent <laughs> a lot of time looking at all of this now but I knew nothing about any of this and no one explained it to me yeah so thank thank god for the national fragile x foundation they have like a lifetime and then a half probably worth of resources that you can read through. So I was able to read about being a, a pre-mutation carrier. And I mean, they, their initial, like what is fragile X and what is a full, like they, they really have resources that dumb it down for you. So you can be like, Oh, okay. I understand. Um, but I will say at, while doing all of that research to educate myself on what I just thought I was educating my son on, because at this point also, I was like, oh, I carry that, but it doesn't affect me. Mm -hmm. I carry this premutation, but it has no effect on my life. It's just my baby's going to have it worse. So then it'll affect them. Yeah. And that's how it's doing described of, to us still, you know, like right. it doesn't affect all this, you. It passes through, almost like it passes through you. Like yeah. you pass it on, but you don't have it. Like that's how it's right. And, and I was reading all of this stuff and I, my whole entire life started to make sense. As I started reading all of this stuff about pre-mutation carriers, I was like, Oh, I felt like someone had like taken my, like I was a horse with blinders on and someone had taken them off. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm able to view my life through a lens that makes complete sense all of a sudden. Um, and also then learn about how to help my child as well. But yeah. yeah, no one ever explained it to me. The first person that really ever explained it to me was the people on the videos that the Fragile X Foundation has on their website. <laughs> yeah, I, no. That's just, it blows my mind that like, if you hadn't taken those steps, then you wouldn't have gone through like the amnio and like you wouldn't have been prepared 
And if your son was experiencing symptoms, you know, you might have not thought back to that carrier screening thing that you did though all those years Mm -mm. ago, like you could have been facing this diagnostic odyssey. Like if you hadn't taken those steps, like it should not, it should not be on the burden of you and like families to. Right. To find out that information. There are so many people who, again, I, I like having control over situations. So I seek out information because it makes me feel like I have control over what's going on. There are so many people who are like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything. This paper said I have this thing. I'm not looking it up. I don't have any interest, like fine with me. And if I would have not been motivated enough to go teach myself about an entire condition I never knew existed all while being pregnant and like the most emotional train wreck on the planet, like I would have known nothing. Yeah. I would have been given no information. And I was, the only information I was given was wrong, that it only affects boys. It does not only affect boys and it does not only affect full mutation people. I mean, the, the, the risks of that pre-mutation carriers face as well is pretty high. So yeah, yeah, there was, there was nothing given to me. It's it's so wrong. Okay. So now obviously you have a lot more information, you know, you know what it means to be a premutation carrier of Fragile X in terms of both reproductively and symptoms that you have experienced, may experience. So how has being a carrier of Fragile X impacted your life and also your plans for the future? I mean, I, not to like overstate it, but like in every single way, um, there's no, there is no part of my life that is not touched by it anymore. Um, and I don't say that like, you know, I'm a pretty dramatic person. Anyone that knows me knows I'm a pretty, I I speak in, you know, in extremes all the time. It's the greatest day of my life and the worst, you know, that's, that's me as a person, but there is no part of my life that's not affected by it. Um, again, like I said before, my entire life sort of made sense. Once I found out that I was a pre-mutation carrier, um, I have had been diagnosed with ADHD since I was you know, in late elementary school, early middle school. Um, I was medicated for that ADHD for a long, long time. Um, I was, you know, bullied out of an elementary school when I was a child. I definitely had struggles, you know, bonding with my peers. Um, I am someone who has like three very close friends. I don't have like a giant big group. Um, I, and I would say a lot of that is because I wasn't, you know, the person that everybody was like widely accepting and loving. And I don't say that for any pity. I love my, my really close friends a lot. And I don't, I probably couldn't manage more than that, but um, I, I understood that it wasn't like my fault in a way. Um, you know, a lot of my life, I'm like, why don't people like me? Why am I different? Why can't I like assimilate and just be like everybody else? And I just feel like I understood so much more about my brain and my, you know, ways of, of doing things. Um, so that was greatly affected. Um, sometimes to the point, I think my husband's like, stop, like, he'll be like trying to get me to do like simple math. And I'm like, Oh, my fragile Lex, <laughs> math is not our strong suit. And he's like, okay, <laughs> all right now. Um, but that, that greatly affected. Um, I now have a child who I passed this condition on to. Um, and you know, I've, I've read enough books by, by moms who have kids with special needs and and disabilities. Um, you can all day be like to your friends, like, don't blame yourself. It's not, you know, you had no idea, but like 
when you actually live with the fact that you are the one who passed on this genetic condition to your child that they're going to potentially struggle with for their entire life, it, it affects you forever. Um, it's a guilt that like, again, if your friend was experiencing it, you would be like, Oh, you don't need to feel guilty at all. But when it's actually yourself, you're like, Oh, like there are some days that are hard and there are some days that are pretty dark. And, you know, you, I have found that a coping mechanism for me is to throw myself into my child's early intervention. I live and breathe finding new ways to do developmental activities with my child. And that is how I'm like, okay, well, if I gave this to you, I'm going to help you get through it. Um, so, you know, it affects how I'm a mom and it affects my entire experience as a mother. Um, and then in terms of like future planning. I mean, it affects how we will grow our family in the future. Um, I have the world's most loving, understanding, wonderful, like compassionate husband on the planet. Um, I, you know, feel so lucky knowing that he never once has been like, oh, you gave him this. And I feel like somebody probably could, because sometimes it's hard and exhausting and taxing. And I mean, the fact that we have to invest in IVF. Like it's not free and our insurance covers none of it, not one cent. So um, it's a big, big sacrifice. And he is, it was his idea. He was the one who was like, we need to go have more children. We need to do IVF. We need to, you know, as long as obviously I'm, he's not forcing me to do anything, but um, it affects the entire future um, of how we grow our family. And what our future looks like with our, our son that we already have. Um, you know, it's pretty morbid to be like, oh, we should have more kids because when we die, there needs to be someone to take care of our son should he need it. But it's something that when you, when you're in this situation, you have to think of it. Yeah. Um, and it's not cute. So much of it is not cute and glamorous to talk about, you know, having a baby, you're just like, Oh, like they're going to go off and get married and go to college and they're going to live this life. And I'm going to just dream up all this stuff for them. Um, and you know, you, you still can do that, but when you have something like this looming over, it's kind of like a, a waiting game. You're like, well, is anything going to happen now? You know, so, um, it affects everything past, present, future, um, probably affects things I haven't even figured out yet. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's not one part of, of my life that's not touched by it. And, and also to say it affects how I can, can interact with my family and friends because I now demand an understanding. I don't, I will not just let you be like, oh, he's fine. He's perfectly normal. Like he, he may not be. And, and I need everyone to take the time to listen and understand and try their best to let me teach you about it. But if it's something that's going to touch him and touch me, like it's something that you need to know. Yeah. Um, that's amazing, Maddie. And I really appreciate how you say, you know, that fragile X has touched everything in your life because I often feel that it's sometimes seen as like a negative or depressing when, when I, when I say like, oh yeah, I'll, you know, my life has been shaped by it, but like, I don't know why that scene is depressing. Like it's, it's true, but now like you have, you know, this knowledge that you need to be able to one, understand your life up until this point, but also like make choices for the future. So I don't think that that's should be a well, negative thing. And these kinds like, of things make people uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. they don't know what to say. When I tell people that my son 
um, has fragile X, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's fine. Like you don't need to be sorry. I mean, yeah, he's great. Like he's like the best kid ever. He has like slept through the night since he was like a month old and he is happy and smiles a lot. Like, I mean, I don't know, like it, you don't need to be sorry. It's not like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to compare it to. That would be terrible. But like, yeah, I mean, it's like you're telling people like my child has cancer and they're going to die. And it's like, oh my gosh. I'm just like, you know, it's just, it's, it's our reality. It is what it is. I can't change it. If I'm depressed about it, that's the rest of my life. So yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, yeah, we can't change. Like you can't change it. So you just have to embrace it and do what you can, you know, to have the knowledge that you need to feel empowered and you know, make the best decisions or the decisions that you, your husband, your family feel are right for, for yourself, for your son. And I think that's so great. You know, you talking about how supportive that your husband is because there has been research that shows that, um, in families where it's an X-linked disease versus an autosomal recessive disease, like cystic fibrosis, there is a lot more guilt and also feelings of blame when there is one person who passes it down versus both parents, which you, you can totally understand why that would be the case. Not, not that with autism or recessive, of course, they still feel those feelings of, of guilt and, and blame, but an X-linked, yeah. I mean, you are the one that passed it down and it's like, you can totally understand, even if you know, logically, like, it was not in my control. There's nothing I could have done. There's nothing I did wrong. Even if you logically know that, like that can't right. shut off the feelings. No. It, I it mean, just, that'd be great if it could. Yeah. I would love that. If I could just be like, let's think logically. logically. But like, that's not real. That's not realistic when you're in the thick of it. Um, I think that I have felt so guilty myself that my husband has never like, he is so he's watched me go through that guilt that he has, he spends all of his time telling me why I shouldn't feel guilty and why it's not my fault and how I had no idea. And therefore, I don't know if I haven't given him the opportunity to blame me or if he genuinely just doesn't want to, but, um, but yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things where, like you said, logically on a good day, when, when you're not, you're not in the throes of it, Um, and it's, you're not kid, you're not seeing your kid struggle. Um, you're fine. You're like, logically, I had no idea. Like, it's like, it's like his eye color. Like I couldn't control, like whatever, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I, I feel very lucky. Um, now that's not to say like, you know, having a baby, it changes your marriage. It makes, you're both tired. It's very hard. (laughs) (laughs) So there are probably times where, um, but, but it's not the fragile X that, that, if we're ever in a grumpy mood and we're mad, it's not because I passed down fragile X to our child. It's <laughs> probably because we're our child's teething and we're wanting to cry because we didn't sleep. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so I know that, well, h- how old is your son now? He's 15 months old. Okay, so you've obviously only been introduced to the fragile X community not too long ago, but have you been involved in any research, you or your son, uh, in any research for Fragile X? And if not, is that something that you'd want to do in the future? Yeah. So um, we have not yet been in any um, research studies or any anything like that, mostly because my son is too young to qualify. Usually you have to be like three or up um, to be able to participate. Um, I haven't found any where they take babies yet. Again, he's only 
15 months old. So he hasn't been alive that long to be participating in anything. Um, there are some, and, and I've looked into them, um, that look, there, there are studies that are going on right now that look back at the developmental milestones of people that are already like, let's say there's a 16 year old. They're like, Oh, when did they walk? When did they crawl? When did they talk? When did, you know, and it looks back at those and they're trying to put things together. I haven't found any, if you are doing it, reach out to me, I'll happily participate. Um, but I haven't found any that are actively as a child with fragile X is going through. Um, I would say probably because most people don't, most people I'm generalizing. A lot of people don't get their fragile X diagnosis till their child is about two or three. Yeah. So they've had enough delays where there, someone says you should go get them genetically tested or they've been diagnosed with autism. Um, and then they go do a genetic test and find out. Um, most people, I don't think find out when their child's in the womb that they have fragile X. So um, I would say that that's probably why is because there's just not a, like, there's not a, you know, hundreds and hundreds of babies that we know have fragile X that are currently developing and reaching meeting milestones. So, um, and then for myself, um, I have been so focused on my son and everything I can do to help him reach whatever he is capable of in life. Um, you know, we, we are in our state's early intervention program, um, called first steps. We, um, he just got into a new center for communication and development that will provide speech OT and PT services um, all together in a, in a cohesive environment. Um, and so I probably spend any moment that I have focusing on him. So I, like I said before, I, through researching for him, have learned a lot about how this affects me, but I don't spend as much of my time I probably should, but I'll do that, you know, in 50 years when, when, <laughs> I, have, when I have time. Um, but I don't spend the majority of my time researching this, looking at myself. I mean, I've, I've learned the important parts. I've learned like the high, the, the high touch points of, um, of how it will affect me, but I've spent the last two years just trying to learn how to be a fragile ex mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it makes total sense. And I think that Obviously, I'm not a parent, but I think that a lot of other mothers in our group would definitely relate with that. But right. I think it's so important to at least that you're aware of the symptoms right. like, that you 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 at least know because a lot of times, yeah, women will be so focused on taking care of their son that they just won't even like be even aware of the symptoms that they can experience. Right. And you know, it can be dangerous because if they're not, you know if there are potential treatments or if they're in pain, then they, they could be doing something about it. So it's definitely important right. to have that knowledge. Um, and that, you know, if you do eventually have more time, then you can, you know, right. look into it and, you know, join, be a part of a research study. If there is more in the future on females that right. are my fragile X, but, um, I think that's great, you know, how proactive that you have been. Um, and that I'm sure you feel just really blessed and lucky to have gotten the diagnosis in the womb so that you can just be yeah, so prepared. For sure. For sure. For sure. And, and I think that, you know, there's never a, a good time to like find it out, but if there was any time for me, it was then so that mm-hmm. I could have time to just be selfish and sit there and have a pity party when I have no one else to take care of. And, yeah, and true. then, 
pick myself up out of the pity party and try to just like take control of the situation. Um, again, I still have pity parties now. I am not some like magic mm-hmm. fragile ex mom. I just, um, I at least had that buffer zone of like finding out and then actually having to care for a child. Yeah. I never um, thought about that before. That's such a good point. Yeah. Okay. So have a couple more questions. Um, so of course, remember the girls uh, supports females and carriers of all excellent conditions. Um, so what are your hopes for the future of our community? Oh my word. I have a laundry list. Um, <laughs> I think that it's hard to be like every doctor should become well-versed in all the X-linked conditions and they should know all of them and they should be sensitive to you and they should, they should, you know, educate you the moment you've like, that would obviously be ideal. Like if, if you go into an OBGYN and they're like, before you get pregnant, you should do a carrier screening and then we will educate you on the thing that you might carry. Um, but I think that would be my hopes eventually is that um, there's so much when it comes to like, OB like women's health care and, and reproductive health care um, where, you know, in an ideal world, I could, I could really come up with a great design of how this would all go. Um, but I do think, you know, getting some type of information or some way to be, you know, I was left to figure it all out on my own. Um, and again, if I had not done that, I would just know nothing. because no one mentioned anything to me. So um, I think information and education would be my first thing. Um, I mean, doing a carrier screening was the easiest part of all of this. They literally just took my blood and then sent it off somewhere. And then I got a piece of paper. Like it didn't take that much time. My insurance paid for it. Um, It was, it was covered. Like it was so easy. It was almost Mm -hmm. like not a big enough deal. Like I wish someone would have been like, this is really important and you should like pay attention to it. Um, but I mean, I think every single woman should go get a carrier screening before they get pregnant. It, it, what's the worst you find out that you're genetically perfect and you have no, you know, you carry nothing. Great. Then you, you know, got stuck with a needle. Um, but I just think information is, gives you so much of, of a, of a way to make a plan. Um, yeah. Do you find so, that I know you you were saying that you like try to talk to your friends about it, um, and I we're like similar in age. Whenever I've like tried to talk to my friends about it, none of them like are um, trying to get pregnant yet, but probably in the next few years. I feel like even despite knowing my story, that they definitely still feel um, like that they wouldn't necessarily want to get a carrier screening because of just that fear I guess of like it's easier to not know like I really don't I don't know I don't know if it's something where once we're at that age that people are starting to have kids if they'll change their mind but yeah what have you faced with that so I I think that in general people like to put their hands over their eyes and be like, la, 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 nothing's happening. Nothing bad's going on. It's fine. Um, and so I think it's probably another case of that where they're like, well, if I don't know, then it's it not affecting not me. Yeah. Then it's not real. That's fine. Everything's fine. I don't know anything. I'm just living in blissful ignorance, which is okay until you have a child who has a disability that you need to understand. Um, so, I mean, like the, it's the two sides of the coin. Like you, you can either choose to just know nothing and take the risk. And I mean, you'll, 
maybe you'll end up just having a great perfect pregnancy and your child will be neurotypical and have no disability and then you're fine um but i just think like but what if they what if they don't then you know better to know um i know in my scenario i wasn't going to do anything differently with the inf- i mean once i got the information i i was having this baby no matter what but yeah. i I, I wanted to have to know what I was working with. I wanted to know what I was up against. What, like, what, what direction do I need to go? Um, just like when people find out the gender of their baby, like it doesn't make a difference. Like if it's a boy or a girl, I just want to know so I can like plan the nursery and like buy outfits and, you know, yeah. dream up if they're going to go to ballet or if they're going to go to, you know, football, like it, it's just information um, yeah. for me. And but- like, just especially with conditions where early, you mentioned early intervention, where it's, it's, you need to know as early as possible. Like it's just, it's yes, it's scary. Like there's never a good time to find out, like you said, (laughs) but like now you can focus so much, you know, of your attention on your son's early intervention to do whatever you can to make sure that he has the best outcome. And if you hadn't followed up with you know, the, the OBGYN, you might've, you know, not found out that your son had Fragilex until like way later in his life. Like it's just crazy to think. It is a world of a difference. I mean, I don't know because I have no crystal ball and I don't know what, if we had done no early intervention versus if we had, I wouldn't, you know, I can't see the two different versions of him that would exist, but it scientifically it's proven that early intervention does drastically change outcomes. So um, it's worth it to me to know it's worth it to me to drive to speech therapy multiple times, you know, like it's worth it. Um, because I just want to give him that best option that he can have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of my friends, um, like you said, kind of were like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, I haven't, but like, no one has been like, oh, can you tell me how to do that and what I need to do? And, um, because people don't like to learn bad things about themselves. It's like being like, I'm a selfish person. Like no one walks around being like, I would like to offer this information up that like I'm selfish and I, you know, um, but like, like you said earlier, it, it doesn't have to be a negative. Yeah. Like, like I just think we sort of need to like work on, well, one, just making it less of like a taboo and like destigmatizing it. Cause like, it's like, yes, I don't know. It's so hard. Cause obviously from our perspective, we can shout from the rooftops. Like there's so <laughs> many benefits of knowing, but if, right. Yeah. A lot of people like that don't really know much about genetic diseases or being a carrier or anything like that. Like, what is it going to take to like convince them that it's important? I, I just don't know, but I think part of it is just having these conversations, honestly. And like, well, and I think it's visibility. I think it's visibility. I think that my friends watching me struggle with the guilt of knowing that I pass something on to my child and also the struggle that I'll have as a mom parenting a child with fragile X, like that might be, they're like, oh, okay. I'd rather just know on the front side. Um, I obviously didn't have the option to know before I got pregnant. Cause I, you know, whatever, but, um, <laughs> but I just think it's like anything. If people have the visibility of it, they're much more likely to, to go do it and, yeah. and, and take it a little bit more seriously. Um, you know, I, I know someone whose 
mom and aunt have all been affected by breast cancer really early. So like she went and got tested for the BRCA gene, like, and it's because she had that, you know what I mean? Like she had that visibility, it affected her personally. So she went and did it. Um, I went, you know, but I don't really know. I think if I had the answer, we'd all just be. Yeah. (laughs) I do think that like carrier screening or even expanded carrier screening, it's definitely, I think slowly, but steadily increasing, but I think OBGYNs probably just need to be like, it's like when you get a pap smear, like, let's just do this. Yeah. Yeah. Cause even like when I see my OBGYN, um, they never talk about, I mean, I know they're not genetic specialists, but like, they've never even talked about like, I'm almost 25 and they've never talked about if I know my family, like they know that I'm a carrier. I've told them, you know, for, since I've gone, since I was right. 17, there's never once been any sort of conversation about having kids, anything. And like, yeah. thankfully I know, you know, what my options are, but like, that just yeah, like, no. I find a bit concerning. And like, I know that they, they don't need to be, I guess, specialists in genetics to at least like facilitate. But it is part of reproduction. About, it is yeah, right? part of like, if I were to get, yeah, pregnant, like that's why I've just found it confusing. I do feel like there's just a bit of a gap there. And like, that's, I do think that that's part of what's missing, I guess. In right. OBGYN is when it comes to genetic conditions and like, well, especially, you know, being adopted when I go to any doctor ever, there's that like four page list of every condition that your family history has ever yeah. had. And when it, I see it, I just write like I'm adopted. Cause I don't, I haven't, pretend that the aliens just dropped me here on earth. Like I don't know anything. Um, and so that makes it even more like, I can't talk about my family history. I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Okay. So if you could go back to before that you knew about fragile X, what is something that you would tell yourself? So I thought a lot about this. Uh, I would tell myself, and this is harsh, but it's the thing that I think I needed to hear because I think I would have, I don't know if it would have done anything, but no one cares as much as you are going to. Your doctors don't care. Your friends don't care. Your family doesn't care. No one cares about this as much as you do. So you need to be the one to go advocate for yourself, for your child, to learn and educate yourself. Like there's and I know that that sounds really like negative and harsh, um, but I think that managing your expectations is usually pretty, I, I find helpful when you enter into any situation. And I think if I would have managed my expectations, it would, there would be a lot less letdown. There would be a lot less disappointment in so many things. Yeah. Um, but knowing like it falls on you to, to do everything when it comes to this, um, is something I would have told myself. And then I also would have told myself like be so grateful for like every single day, every single moment, because like I lived a very blissfully normal life and I still, I mean, my life is wonderful and great, but in one day I found out this information that literally changed the rest of my life. It changed everything. And so it's just kind of shown me and given me that perspective of like literally any day, any moment of your entire life, you could learn something that will change every single thing. 
Um, so I try to remember that and remember like when you're interacting with other people, like in, you know, strangers, um, every single person is the worst thing that my, my husband always says this, the worst thing that's ever happening in your life is the worst thing that's happening in your life. Like it's, it's different for everyone. Like someone's worst thing might be that they stubbed their toe. And like, that's the worst thing that's happened to them. It's horrible. And someone else might be that they found out that they have cancer and they have a year to like, but to those two people, it's the worst thing that's happening to them. And so just having that perspective, like everything can change, everything can shift, you know, this is what's happening to me. And it's, you know, it was the worst day of my life or whatever. Um, but that, you know, everyone has their, their things. Yeah. I think that perspective is so important. And in terms of your first response, um, remember the girls is actually working on developing a self-advocacy guide. So we're going to have a part on our website. That's going to have, um, a bunch of different resources like mock conversations with, um, with doctors. We're going to have tips from the community videos also like printouts for, if you're seeing like a new medical professional, um, amazing. So yeah, we're, we're just, you know, I think that that self-advocacy piece is huge. And even earlier you had said, you know, you wish every doctor could know, but we know like that's not going to happen. So like, we're always going to have to have a component of self-advocacy in that because these are rare diseases and like, there's no way that doctors can know every single rare disease. So like, we're always going to have to take these steps, which why I think is, you know, so important to just create these resources and just help, you know, provide to our community what, what they need moving forward. And when people join and are newly diagnosed, um, you know, that they can have these things just at their fingertips. So. Right. No, that's amazing. And, and I think like, you know, you get practice advocating for yourself, uh, and then, you know, learn to advocate for your child if they do inherit the genetic condition. And it's like, you know, it's easier for me at least to go be like a mama bear and like, be like, you should do this and this and this for my child. And like, whatever. Um, I think sometimes it's harder for us to go in and advocate for ourselves. Cause we're just like, eh, you know, it's fine. Like, I don't want to inconvenience anyone. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Um, but I think it's important. Like, it's important that you go in and you, you know, you get what you demand. So unless you demand that someone be like, learn about it or, or care about it, they probably have other things that they're caring about. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, this was such an amazing conversation, Maddie. And I have one final question that we ask all of our interviewees. When you think of Remember the Girls, what is the first word that comes to mind? I think relatability, like finding people that are going through the same very niche thing that you're going through. That's not necessarily like the first thing you bring up when you meet a new friend. Um, you're like, Hey, do you also carry an X-linked condition that we can bond about this like crazy life experience? Cause like it does, it affects everything. And you're like, I need to find people who I can relate to on this. Um, you know, kind of like being a, a fan of a sports team. You're like, Oh, we're all one big community. We're all in this together. Um, and I think just finding other people that are going through this thing that like, although we try not to make it negative, like it's hard sometimes, um, it, you know, uh, misery loves company kind of thing. Like it's, it's easier to kind of go, go through it with other people, even if you don't know them personally, like just to have that visibility, I think is amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Maddie, and for taking the time to share. 
Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me.